Redeeming love will be our theme and it will be until we die. And the reason why redeeming love will be our theme until we die is because we know that when we die, we will be with the Lord. We know that we have received the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ because of his redeeming love. Our series is called Death Defeated. I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 19, verse 31 to 37 today. And this passage of scripture describes the moments immediately following when Christ said, it is finished, when he gave up his spirit. John chapter 19, verse 31 to 37. It says, since it was the day of preparation, And so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day. The Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear And at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true. And he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says they will look on him whom they have pierced. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray, Lord God, that by the power of your spirit, that you would bring us before the cross. Lord, that you would allow us to see our Savior, that we would see your grand and glorious story coming together, Lord, to rescue sinners and give them the gift of eternal life. God, we've lifted our voices to you in singing and in prayer so far, Lord. Now we want to hear your voice speaking through your word. So we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our passage begins by saying that this was the day of preparation before the Sabbath. Just like there was a Sabbath every week, there was also a day of preparation every week. That was the day before the Sabbath, the day where you got all of your work done so that you would be able to rest on the Sabbath. Now the Sanhedrin were concerned in verse 31, they didn't want the bodies to remain on the cross during the Sabbath. And the Sabbath was considered a high day because it was taking place during the week of Passover. And so they go to Pilate. It's interesting, they initially went to Pilate because they wanted Jesus on the cross. Now they're going back to Pilate because they don't want Jesus on the cross anymore. You see, the reason why they wanted Jesus on the cross was because of Deuteronomy chapter 21. They wanted Jesus to be considered cursed. And Deuteronomy chapter 21 says that anyone who dies and is hung up on a tree or or hung up, that, that that person is considered cursed and they wanted Jesus to be considered cursed. But there was another part to Deuteronomy chapter 21. Deuteronomy chapter 21 verse 22 says that that if someone is hung up to, to die, that his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but that they should be buried on the same day. And that if they aren't, that will bring defilement on the land. 
And so here are the self-righteous Sanhedrin again. They've just committed murder. They've just allowed the innocent Son of God to be crucified, and yet they are concerned about ritual purity and fulfilling this command in Deuteronomy chapter 21. They don't want the land to be defiled by Christ staying up on the cross. The land already is defiled. They're already living in complete sin and rebellion to the plan of God. So they go to Pilate. And again, Pilate, who is supposed to be the one who's in charge, he is just doing whatever the Sanhedrin ask him to do. So they're really asking Pilate to break from, uh, from the way the Romans normally do things. Normally, they would leave people who are crucified on the cross for hours, even days, to allow the, the, the bodies to, to just hang there, to have... Oh, uh, birds of prey and, and other, other animals start to gnaw away at their flesh, this gruesome, horrific display. But every now and again, for the purpose of mercy or for the purpose of efficiency, the Romans would break the legs of the person that had been crucified. You see, when someone is suffering and dying on the cross, as they're hanging there, the only way that they can draw a breath is by, by pushing up on their hands and on their feet in order to open, uh, open their lungs in order to breathe. And if their legs are broken, then they only have their arms that they can pull up on, which is next to impossible. And then within a matter of moments of their legs being broken, they would then suffocate to death. And so the soldiers do what Pilate asked them to do. In verse 32, they came to the one and broke his legs and then the other. But then in verse 33, it says that when they, when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. The soldiers seem to be surprised by this. We're not. Jesus said it is finished. That's when he gave up his spirit. You see, Jesus did not die because of the nails or because of the blood or because of the cross. Jesus died because Jesus chose to die. He gave up his spirit. As it says in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, Jesus says, I lay down my life on my own accord. No one takes it from me. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. And so Jesus chose to die. He gave up his spirit. That's why he was already dead, even ahead of schedule, what the soldiers were expecting. But just to be sure, one of the soldiers took his spear and pierced Jesus in the side. This was probably to see if Jesus would react in any way, and he didn't. All that happened was that water and blood flowed from his side. John mentions in verse 35 that he had witnessed this and that he is telling the truth. These are historical events that have been recorded by eyewitnesses, but they were recorded not just to retell history, they're recorded for a purpose. Notice at the end of verse 34, he says, I'm, I'm telling you the truth. He says that you also may believe. What does John want us to believe? Three, three quick things. First off, he wants, us, he wants us to believe that Jesus actually came in flesh and blood. At the time when, Jesus, uh, when John was writing this story about 
Jesus, there were already these, these false teachings surrounding uh, docetism and Gnosticism, which, which teach that Jesus didn't actually come in a body, but that Jesus was just this spirit that just kind of floated around. He sort of gave the illusion that he had a body, but John, from the very get-go, said that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, John 1 verse 1, and then John 1 verse 14, and the Word became flesh. John has been emphasizing that all throughout his gospel. And because he was flesh and flesh and blood, blood and water came out when he was pierced. Secondly, John also wants us to believe that Jesus actually died. You see, that it's not that much of a miracle to believe that Jesus rose from the dead unless we believe that he actually did die. And John is here saying, as an eyewitness, he says, I saw him. He was dead. And then thirdly, he wants us to believe so that, so that we would understand how Christ's death fulfilled Old Testament prophecy. And then John, in verse 36 and verse 37, quotes two Old Testament passages. One is from a familiar story, uh, a story where the Jewish people would often look backwards to understand their identity, their roots, where they come from. That's the story of Passover in the book of Exodus. And that's a, that is a, a, a part of the Bible where the people of God would look in order to look back to understand who they are, where they came from. But the other quotation comes from the book of Zechariah, which is not a book that looks backwards. It's a book that looks forwards. It's a, it's a book that describes the, the coming of the Messiah. It's a book filled with hope and expectation. And John takes these, these two quotations, one that looks back and one that looks forward, one that is a, a history and the other that is a prophecy, and he quotes them side by side. To show that Jesus' death is the ultimate fulfillment, loved ones, of everything looking back and everything looking forward. That Jesus is the one who was and who is and who is to come. And we're going to focus our study this morning on these two quotations, one looking back and one looking forward. So the first one is this. If you're taking notes today, jot this down. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Jesus is our Passover lamb. In verse 36, Jesus is, is described as having not one of his bones being broken. Now we must remember that all of this is happening during the festival of Passover, which was a time of looking back, a time of reading the book of Exodus, retelling the story of when God's people were enslaved in Egypt. And God called Moses at the burning bush to go and tell Pharaoh, let my people go. But Pharaoh hardened his heart and refused to listen and so God sent nine catastrophic plagues that brought this mighty nation of Egypt to an environmental and an economic utter collapse. And then came the 10th plague, where the, the firstborn within every family living in Egypt would be killed. God told the people of Israel that the same fate would, would reach their firstborn unless they took a lamb and, and had that lamb killed. And then to take a hyssop branch and to dip it in the blood and then to spread the blood over the doorposts and the lintels of every household. 
And that when God was passing through, when he would see the blood of the lamb, he would pass over them. The Israelites were guilty of sin and disbelief, every bit as much as the Egyptians. They deserved to die as well. And yet, because the lamb died in their place, God passed them over. Then in Exodus chapter 12, God tells the people, that they are going to celebrate this moment, commemorate this moment, remember this moment every year at this particular time. And God gives specific instructions about this lamb. Every year, each family was to take a lamb and to kill it. And there were specific details about this lamb. It was supposed to be without blemish. There were details about how it was to be prepared. And it's also mentioned in Exodus 12, verse 46, that the Passover lamb shall not have any of its bones broken. So again, all of this is happening on Passover week. We've already seen the soldiers use a hyssop branch to reach up to give Jesus sour wine. We've already heard John the Baptist say, it's echoed through the whole book of the Bible, John 1 verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God. And now we're told that when Christ died, not one of his bones were broken. You see, the lamb died instead of the firstborn in Egypt from every family. The lamb was a substitute. The lamb was a sacrifice. And Jesus is the same for us. We all deserve to die because of our sin. But if we trust in the blood, in the death of Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, God will pass over us in the day of judgment. The incredible thing here is that the the soldiers... They actually disobey Pontius Pilate. He's the governor. He's the commander-in-chief. He's the one who's supposed to tell them what to do. He says, jump. They say, how high? He said, break all the crucified men's legs. And they only broke the legs of the men on the right and on the left. They disobeyed Pilate. There's no human explanation for this other than God wanted this prophecy to be fulfilled. He wanted us to have this picture of the Passover sacrifice in our minds. It's incredible here how the Sanhedrin miss the whole point. They're concerned about the Sabbath that's coming up. They want to fulfill and obey the law. Meanwhile, it's Christ who came to fulfill the law. They're concerned that the Sabbath is happening on a Passover. They don't want the land to be defiled. And yet it's Christ who is the Passover lamb. They thought that the dead body of Jesus would defile them. They don't understand that they're already defiled. And their only hope of purification is the dead body of Jesus. That he died in their place. Jesus is the Passover lamb. And secondly, Jesus is the pierced savior. Verse 37 quotes another prophecy of scripture. It says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. This is a direct quotation from Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. I mentioned earlier that Zechariah chapter, the whole book of Zechariah is a book of prophecy. It's a book that looks forward Zechariah is the Old Testament equivalent of the book of Revelation. In fact, when John, who wrote the Gospel of John, wrote the book of Revelation, he was actually quoting and alluding to many of the things that are found in Zechariah. 
And so you can imagine that Zechariah is filled with all kinds of unique and bizarre visions and vivid imagery. You've got women with wings that are flying around carrying a basket that has another woman uh, in it. You've got scrolls that are flying around. You've got horsemen and chariots and, and all of these different visions, mythical and magical trees, priests and dirty clothes that are being uh, changed into clean clothes. But the message of Zechariah is that God is coming. And in Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10, God says, Behold, I come and I will dwell in your midst, declares the Lord. God says he will come and he will dwell among his people. He also says that many nations shall join themselves to the Lord in that day and shall be my people. But then in verse 11, it says that I will dwell in your midst and you shall know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you. In verse 10, it says that God is coming. But in verse 11, it says that God is sending. How can God be both sending and coming? I was talking to someone in our church, Scott Barber, about this, this passage of Scripture. This is, this is really pointing to Jesus Christ. Jesus, who said, I and the Father are one. That when Jesus was coming, it all says all throughout the Gospel of John that Jesus is the one who has been sent. That when Jesus is coming, that is God coming. The Word was in the beginning with God. The Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That's Zechariah chapter 2, verse 10 and 11. Then in Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, this is familiar. It says, Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. This is, this is John chapter 12. This is Palm Sunday. That's what today is. The, the, the week before Easter, Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, the people saying, Hosanna, recognizing that he is indeed the king, the king that was prophesied in the book of Zechariah. Zechariah 2 says God is coming. Zechariah 9 has this arrival of the king. As the book of Zechariah unfolds, it, it plays out the same way the Gospel of John unfolds. The king is ultimately rejected. The king is actually pierced. So we come to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. God says, I will pour out on the house of David and, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced. They've pierced God. This is God speaking. When they look on me whom they have pierced, it says they shall mourn for him. So God is pierced, and yet there is a, a him who is pierced. Again, Jesus said, I and the Father are one. When Christ is pierced, God is pierced. As one mourns for an, an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a first born. Jesus Christ as the uh, uncreated, eternally pre-existent Son of God, he has firstborn status. He is God's only begotten Son who was given as a sacrifice. The people of God mourn for the firstborn, for the Son of God who suffered and died. And when we think about our sin, and when we think about the fact that because we rebelled against God, God's Son 
was crucified for us, was pierced. We need that spirit of pleas for mercy and of grace that's described in Zechariah chapter 12. And those pleas for mercy are answered in Zechariah 13 and verse 1. It says, on that day, there shall be a fountain open for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and and uncleanness. There is a fountain filled with blood, the blood of Christ, the, the, the blood and the water that came out of Christ's side like a fountain that when sinners are plunged under this flood, they are cleansed from their filthy stains. You see, God was pierced so that this fountain could flow. He is our Passover lamb who died in our place, and he is our sanctifying savior who was pierced so that we could be pure, so that the stain of sin could also be removed. The guilt and the shame that goes with our sin could also be removed with the penalty that was removed when Christ died as our substitute. Loved ones, John said he witnessed these things so that we would believe. Do you believe? Have you personally made the decision to trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and the cleansing of your sin and your uncleanness? I mentioned that John, when he's writing the book of Revelation, quotes and makes allusions to the book of Zechariah. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 7, it says, Behold, he is coming. Talking about Jesus, it says he's coming with the clouds. And it says, every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Jesus came once. It was predicted in the book of Zechariah. When Jesus came, God came. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. And when Jesus is pierced, God is pierced. Jesus is coming again. He's not going to come humble, riding on a donkey. He's going to come on the clouds. And we're all going to see him. And so you can make a choice right now. You can either choose to see him in his word. You can see him by the power of the Spirit to open your eyes. To see him as he truly is, as your substitute and as your Savior. Or you can wait until that day when we will all see him. And it's your choice. Do you want to relate to Jesus now as your savior? Or do you want to relate to him in the future as your judge? This is a choice that all of us must make. We will all look on him who was pierced. Will you trust him as your savior today? Let's bow our heads together. Our Heavenly Father, there's no work of the law that we could complete. There's no good deed. There's no way for us to earn favor with you apart from the saving work of your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we pray that you would take these incredible truths of the gospel, the whole story of the Bible, Lord. We've gone from Exodus to the gospel of John and Zechariah all the way to Revelation, Lord. God, thank you that you have written this glorious story that is playing out before our eyes. God, I pray that we would respond personally and individually to this call to believe in you and trust you. In Jesus' name.
Amen.